This morning we're going to read Romans 11, 1 through 6, 11 through 20 from the message. Does this mean then that God is so fed up with Israel that he'll have nothing more to do with them? Hardly. Remember that I, the one writing these things, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, out of the tribe of Benjamin. You can't get much more Semitic than that. So we're not talking about repudiation. God has been too long involved with Israel, has too much invested, to simply wash his hands of them. Do you remember that time Elijah was agonizing over the same Israel and cried out in prayer, God, they murdered your prophets, they trashed your altars, I'm the only one left and now they're after me. And you remember God's answer? I still have 7,000 who haven't quit. 7,000 are loyal to the finish. It's the same today. There's a fiercely loyal minority still, not many perhaps, but probably more than you think. They're holding on, not because of what they think they're going to get out of it, but because they're convinced of God's grace and purpose in choosing them. If they were only thinking of their own immediate self-interest, they would have left long ago. The next question is, are they down for the count? Are they out of, out of this for good? And the answer is clear-cut, no. Ironically, when they walked out, they left the door open and the outsiders walked in. But the next thing you know, the Jews were starting to wonder if perhaps they had walked out on a good thing. Now, if their leaving triggered this worldwide coming of non-Jewish outsiders to God's kingdom, just imagine the effect of their coming back. What a homecoming. But I don't want to go on about them. It's you, the outsiders. That I'm concerned with now because my personal assignment is focused on the so-called outsiders. I make as much of of this as I can when I'm among my Israelite kin, the so-called insiders, hoping they'll realize what they're missing and want to get in on what God is doing. If they're falling out, initiate this worldwide coming together, their recovery is going to set off something even better, a mass homecoming. If the first thing the Jews did, even though it was wrong for them, turned out for your good, just think, what's going to happen when they get it right? Behind and underneath all of this, there is a holy, God-planted, God-tended root. If the primary root of the tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. Some of the tree's branches were pruned, and you wild olive shoots were grafted in. Yet the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no cause to crow over the pruned branches. Remember, you aren't feeding the root. The root is feeding you. It's certainly possible to say other branches were pruned so that I could be grafted in. Yeah, well and good. But they were pruned because they were dead wood no longer connected by belief and commitment to the root. The only reason you're on the tree is because your graph took when you believed and because you're connected to that belief-nurturing root. So don't get cocky and strut your branch. Be humbly mindful of the root that keeps you live and green. Good morning. I wanted to uh, 
do a little Paul Harvey with you this morning, the rest of the story. I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, I talked about evil Knievel. And I had some brothers afterwards who gave me an update on evil Knievel, and I want to tell you the story. Last week I shared in January of 2007, there was an interview with Evil Knievel, and as he was in his uh, hospital room, his final words to uh, the interviewer from uh, USA Today was, uh, if there is a heaven, I don't know what else I can do to get there. Pretty much done everything, I've jumped over everything, I've accomplished everything, and if there's a heaven, I don't know what else I can do to get there which is exactly the point that the Lord always makes. Nothing you can do. It's all about my son, Jesus. And through him alone that you have salvation. So then I turned, uh, my brothers came and said, I want you to watch The Hour of Power, Robert Schuller. See if you can find it on Google. Go back to Palm Sunday of last year. So April of uh, 2007 three months after this interview in the hospital. And there's this beautiful interview. And here's how it went. Evil Knievel is at the Crystal Cathedral, frail as can be, hardly able to breathe. His cystic uh, fibrosis that have taken over his lungs. And he gets up and he says, I want you all to know I was serving all kinds of other gods. I wrote my book, Evil Ways, and in my book, I said, I am richer than any prince, more famous than any king. My life is better than all of those. And he said, I was, I was holding on to all the Ferraris I had and all my wealth and my airplanes, and, and that was what I served, my name. I put names on the side of my planes and, and on the side of my bus because my name. These false gods and I serve myself. And then he said, I was in a hotel room in Daytona Beach and God just reached down and he's, he can hardly breathe. And God grabbed me and I fell on my knees in that hotel in Daytona Beach and I'm proud to say today that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Robert Schuller grabbed this frail man and, and he led him over to an area and he baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the rest of the story. And nothing will separate us from the love of God. Height nor depth. Nothing. God is always pursuing, always working on hearts that are callous. God's the one who can break through. He's done that with many of us. He continues to do his work for some who say, I don't want anything to do with God. And God's saying, I'm still coming after you because I love you. I want you to know me. And God did his work. Good got a hold of evil. And his life has changed forever. And so when we go to heaven, we'll be jumping motorcycles with evil Knievel. That'll be pretty cool. Amen? I want to share another story. Oh, by the way, hourofpower.org 
slash evil, E-V-E-L, the whole testimony. Really, don't miss it. It's, you'll weep. I mean, it's just beautiful. Hourofpower.org slash evil, E-V-E-L, okay? And you'll get the whole thing on the internet. Let me share a little story about God and His continued work in, in, in the world and how there's always a remnant because God's truth is always going to go out. His love for people, mankind, is always going to go out. And he always has a remnant. In the 1800s, 1870s, about the Swedish group of missionaries went to Mongolia, outside Mongolia, outer Mongolia. And they went to, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and they spent 40 years there trying to minister the good news of Jesus Christ. After 40 years, there wasn't one, not one church that was able to be planted. The resistance was incredibly strong. Then in Mongolia, 1921, Mongolia earned the dubious title of being the only country in the world that invited Soviet Russia to bring communism to their country. And then so with that came an incredible purge of anything that had to do with godliness, anything that had any other worship. And they came in, they they wiped out a million Buddhist priests. In 1921, religion was dead in Mongolia. Nothing left. 1980, fast forward 60 years. Young student, the name that was given to him to actually protect him, was, his name is Yi. Yi went to Russia to go study English so that he could be a translator in Mongolia as English people came over for the, for the country, for, for special speaking assignments. He would be the one who would translate. So he went to Russia, and as he's there in, in, uh, in his classroom, a young guy from Tanzania gives him a Bible and says, hey, study this, it'll teach you English. <laughs> Seven years, ye studied the Scriptures. Fast forward, 1987. A gentleman who I'm actually know very well because I was out in Washington, D.C., uh, ministering with him for over a year. His name is Doug Coe. He's one of these incredible men used of God behind the scenes to influence literally kings and presidents. Doug Coe went to Mongolia to do a hunting trip with a couple Christian brothers. And so here they are hunting, and Yi is the translator for the group. And so after a while, as they're doing the trip, and Yi is picking up that these people know God, he whispers to Doug Coe, Doug, do you know God? And Doug says, yes, I do. And Yi says, what's his name? And Doug says, his name is Jesus Christ. And he proceeds to tell Yi all about him. And Yi comes into a 
knowledge and a saving grace of Jesus Christ in 1987. Fast forward 1992. And in that, in that relationship, Doug says, I know this is hard for you. You're not allowed to, to speak of your religion, of your relationship. But God will protect you. Others will come to be by your side. 1992. <clears throat> a group of Navajo Indians who are incredible horsemen and, and do these incredible shows, they come and it's a Christian group. For the nation, they're coming to, to put on this incredible show. And so all the television comes. And after they do the show, they tell about themselves. And guess what they present? They present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess who gets to translate? Ye. Over TV. And then secretly, secretly, many responded to the call of Jesus Christ, offering life in the midst of Mongolia where there's nothing but death. And then several years later, some other missionaries came over and they anointed Yi and they, they brought him into the fellowship and he became the first pastor, secret pastor, of the church in Mongolia. There will always be a remnant God will always have his name go forth. Nothing will separate us, this world, from his love. And he will always have one who will bring forth his truth. That's our amazing God. Because he radically loves us. And God has been doing a work from the beginning of time as he delivered Israel out of Egypt. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to know me. I want you to have relationship with me. Israel, the nation to be the voice to the rest of the world of the love of God. Israel, this little place that we're going to go to with 50 of us, this what I call the land between, all these other trade routes where everything happens has to come through Israel. That's why queens and kings traveled through and met up with Solomon and everybody. Because they had to do their trade routes, but little did they know they were going to get the love of God as they went through. This is who our God is. A remnant. God, for whatever reason, chose Israel. Of all places on the planet, that's what he chose. And out of Israel, again, he will always have a remnant. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And God was preparing from the beginning that his son would come to pay the price on the cross for us. To give us Life, for those of us who would confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they would be saved. That they would come into saving grace, the love of God poured out, forgiven, washed, cleansed, into a loving, beautiful relationship with our God. And we've seen in these chapters, in 9, 10, 11, 9 was, was hey, listen, I have a... I had this relationship with Israel, and I'm a God who chooses whom I choose. I, I chose out of the line of Jacob. In the past, I've been working with Israel, and I chose out of them this lineage that would come. Out of Jacob, I decided, was the one I would choose. And that was the work that was done in the, in the past with Israel. Chapter 10 is kind of present. Paul is going on to say, 
listen, here's the work I'm doing with Israel now, and my prayer is that, Paul says, oh, that all of them would be saved. I pray that. I long for that. I ache for that. And then in chapter 11, what we're going to see is is this desire and this, this vision of God's work with Israel, the literal nation of Israel, and what God is going to do through them and with them. Now, I want you to understand, we are considered spiritual Israel. We are chosen. We are beloved. And so we have, as followers of Christ, placed on us this, this beautiful image of spiritual Israel. God's children we are. But I want you to understand in chapter 11, the primary focus is going to be on the literal nation of Israel, God's chosen people from the beginning. And it's going to be wonderful to see what God does with them, because as we watch God's work with Israel, we get to see his character in our lives. We can see his character in how he works with us, how he loves us. God is a covenant-keeping God. We're going to see that in this chapter 11. That God is faithful even when we are fickle. He always is a God who keeps His promises. He is a God who is a God of integrity. Psalm 94 says this about the nation of Israel. And it gives you the character of God in our lives. For the Lord did not reject His people He will never forsake his inheritance. Psalm 94. And so as we turn to chapter 11 and as Greg read out of the message, Paul starts as as the end of chapter 10 says, All day long I held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Again, the Lord in his, his anguish over his love for his people, yet they're not responding. And they reject it and they turn their back and, and the Lord weeps over them. And you picture Jesus as he is near the Garden of Gethsemane looking over Israel on the Mount of Olives looking over the city. And just again, a heart for Israel. And he cries out, oh, if you only knew how much I love you, I want to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks into my arms, into my fold. So God's love has always been like that for Israel. And yet they've kicked against him like many of us have. Turned their backs on God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul responds and says, Well, I asked, did God reject his people since they've turned away? And God's response, Paul's response, the heart of the Lord, absolutely not, by no means. Israel is always part of God's plan. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. I am your God. You are my people. I will not forsake your inheritance. The Scriptures remind us. Did He forsake His people? And Paul goes, are you kidding? Look at me. If you want a Jew, you're looking at him. Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. It doesn't get more Jewish than this. Look at me if you want an example of God reaching out, turning me upside down on my head on the road to Damascus because of his incredible love for me and for the Jewish people. 
Is God finished with us? Are you kidding? Does God stop pursuing? No way. What's the character of God we can see in his relationship with Israel? He keeps coming after. The old terminology is hound dog from heaven. He doesn't stop. Because he loves us. He's provided a way through his son Jesus. And Paul finally found that out. If you want an example, look at me, Paul says. And then he says, look at Elijah. Remember Elijah? Elijah has this incredible relationship with God. He's up on the mountain of Carmel, and he's up there, and here's these prophets from Baal. He calls them all up, and then he kind of mocks them as he says, call on your God, let's, you know, let's take care of this bull situation, and whoever first you know, is able to, to nuke the bull with fire wins. And they keep crying out, and they're cutting themselves, and they're dancing, and nothing happened. And, and Elijah's like, well, maybe your God's taking a nap. And he mocks them, as it should have been. The foolishness and the, really the pagan worship that was so distorted. And then Elijah prays and calls down fire from heaven, and fire consumes and licks up even the water that surrounded the altar. And then, Elijah ends up hiding out in a cave because he gets word that Jezebel is coming after him. All of a sudden, he's in fear. After, after, he, just, after he just saw all that God had done. And now it's like, yeah, but Jezebel is going to take out all the prophets and she's been killing them off. And, and, he's, and he's hiding in a cave. I think we've been there. Sometimes it feels like, is God really winning this thing? It seemed like he was, but now all of a sudden, what's going on? And so God shows up. Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here in the cave? Why why are you here? Well, God, here's what's going on. And Elijah actually even prayed against Israel because of their obstinance towards God. What kind of pastor is that? Lord, these people, what a, what a mess. They're awful. He's really struggling with Israel. And he goes, God, I'm, I'm it. I'm all you got left. And God's going, are you kidding me, Elijah? You think I depend on you alone? <laughs> you think you're the man? I have 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. They have come to me, not by works, but actually by faith. They've trusted me in faith that I am God. I've got them ready to go. Elijah, my word will go out. I want to use you greatly, Elijah, but I have a remnant that will go out, and there will be great persecution, and I know it feels like I'm not winning. Oh, but trust me, This battle is mine. And I will always have those who will bring forth my love and my truth, and I have a remnant that will go forth. You know, it's interesting. There was a study by Open Doors. It's a world watch list of the most persecuted churches in the world. The places that are probably the, the hardest to be a Christian in, to live. 
Number one, North Korea. Hardest place, most persecuted. And all the studies of who's being killed off, there's a systematic process of taking out Christians. And for six years now, North Korea has been listed as the the most challenging, trying, persecuted place to live. And, and they're, they're worshiping this personality cult to the dictator who you've seen on TV, I'm sure, Kim Jong-il. They basically end up worshiping him. But the thing that's been going out is there are 400 to 500,000 followers of Jesus Christ who have not bowed down to the image of Kim Jong-il. There'll always be a remnant because God is always working, bringing His love, bringing salvation. God keeps His promises. God says, I have sent My Son because I love the world. Do you get it? Not just Boise, Idaho, the whole world. And the world needs to know about my son. And so when it seems like Kim Jong-il is winning, I have 400 to 500,000 in the caves, in secret churches, who have not bowed down, but bow down to my son Jesus and have life in him. Saudi Arabia is next. Iran after that. The Maldives. Bhutan. Yemen. Afghanistan. Laos. Uzbekistan and China are the top ten. I always have a remnant. If God be for us, who can be against us? As he ministers to the souls of those who are the remnant. 1 Peter 2 says, We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and the sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And so God is working in the Israelites, and he's, and he's working in our lives, and he's working in the world, sending his message of his son to the world. And as he shows us his relationship with Israel, he says, listen, did God reject his people? No. Will I have a remnant? Yes. And then we get this interesting verse in verse 8, which, you know, we struggle with. It says that God gave them, Israel, a spirit of stupor. Eyes that could not see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution to them. You're like, God, that, that just seems mean. What are you doing in the middle of all of this where you love Israel, where you haven't forsaken them, and yet you say right here that there's a spirit of stupor, of, of basically of sleepiness, slothfulness, where they don't get it anymore, and now they're just falling asleep on you, and you've given it to them. What's that all about? Matthew 13. And actually, if you even go back in chapter 10, remember it says, but not all of the Israelites, 
10.16, not all of the Israelites accepted the good news of Jesus. There's always a remnant, but not all of them. Matthew 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And if they would do that, and if they would turn, Matthew 13 says, I would heal them. Always a heart that needs to repent and turn. Just like we saw with Evil Knievel. There comes a place for all of us where we must turn. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing already. And what the Scriptures are getting at is that they've already rejected Him. The idea is of those who have said in their hearts, we want nothing to do with God. God knows the outcome of their lives. They have denied Him, turned away. Their hearts have become hard. And God is allowing them and responding to the demands of their life. And their demand is, I want nothing to do with you, God. A loving God. A God who doesn't turn us into puppets. Says, I honor what you want. I will not force you to be my puppet that I just make you into whom I want. God will not violate our choice, nor the choice of Israel. Because the reality is is that true love always demands choice. You know, we see these arranged marriages that happen all throughout history, forced into marriage. Some of them end up falling in love with each other after a season. But what God is saying, I'm not going to force you to enter into marriage with me. Because true love allows choice. And so they've turned. Psalm 81 says, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. Some had turned to a point that their hearts were so hard. But what Paul is getting at is now this, in verse 11, it says, Again I ask, did they stumble so, uh, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And he says, no. Israel has not gotten to that point for many, and what he's getting at is, again, this, this relationship with God, with the nation of Israel. And let me point out something real clearly, as best as I can, right here and now, which is that one of the things that we know is that for any of us to come into relationship with our Lord, God, it comes only through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And it comes for each and every one of us to make a choice that we believe that God loves us so much that he gave us away. And we believe in his son. We believe that he died on the cross for our sin. We believe that he rose again. We believe that as we receive him as Lord and Savior, that he has saved us and gives us life now and forever. Abundant life in God. Beautiful now relationship with the living God. And so when we talk about salvation of Israel, that's the same process for each person who is part of Israel, each Jew. But we're also going to see that God has his hand upon the nation of Israel. And as he loves Israel, he loves this nation and there's blessing that comes upon the nation. But for each one, there is relationship with Christ. So when we talk about Israel being saved, it's again those who've turned their hearts to, but there's going to be a broad sweeping thing that God's going to do with Israel in the end. God is working out. And that hearts are not so callous that he can't break through. And that's what he's getting at in verse 11. There are hearts that, even though it seems like they've stumbled and they've fallen away, they're not so callous, they're not completely calloused over that God can't work His way in, and He's going to. And that's what's true of each and every one of us. It's true of each and every one that we know. Who you're praying for. That callous that may be there right now, that God can bust that. He can dig through that hard soil. And He does. And I know many of you are a prime example of that. Man, you hated God. Truly hated God. There was a callus so big and God just kept digging onto that soil. And so we never stop praying for, we never stop entering into God's kingdom work, we never stop going after because God never stops. It's a reminder to us that every man can repent, every man, woman, child can repent and turn to Christ and be restored to God. And what's happening in this next little section is that God is doing this incredible work on Israel and he's taking a situation where Israel has turned and what he's saying in 11 through 24 is, listen, Israel's turned, but I'm taking, remember at Romans 8, I take everything that, that seems bad and evil and wrong and I can turn it around for that which is good. Israel has rejected me right now Most, always a remnant, but most. And because they have, it has opened the door to the Gentiles. That's those who are not Jewish. That's you and me. And I opened the door so that the Gentiles would be able to know who I am. And word has gone out. You know, I invited the Jews to my wedding banquet. They wanted nothing to do with it. And so the scripture tells us in parable, I want you to go out into the streets and invite anybody who will come to my wedding banquet. And so now here goes the gospel message out to the whole world. I use this situation with the Jews and I open the door for the Gentiles to be grafted in to the vine of the olive tree. I use this situation to do another thing 
that it will open and actually stir up the hearts of the Jews that they might be jealous to all that's going on. You know, Dan and uh, Miriam just got married last week here, and, and one of the stories that was told by the bridesmaid was uh, the maid of honor was, you know, Dan, who helps us out with sound in the, in the back booth here, he said, you know, for a while it was kind of like they were interested in each other, but, you know, nothing was quite happening. And, and uh, one day Dan was back there in the booth, and Miriam was up here, and another young gentleman started to talk with Miriam. And she was kind of enjoying the conversation, I guess. And it stirred Dan up from the back booth. So he got a rubber band out. And, no. But it stirred him up to the point where he, he wanted to enter into some relationship with Miriam. And then the marriage happened. Do you understand what God's doing? As we are enjoying the marriage, the wedding feast, and the Jews are seeing that, and they're seeing this peace, they're still, they're still trying to offer stuff for, for forgiveness of sins. And they see the love of God through us, the nation of Israel, Jewish people specifically. They go, it's stirring in me. What am I missing out on? I know God, but there's more. And God is doing a work in the people of Israel. And he's going to graft us in in this time where they are struggling and they have opened the door and we will be brought into the olive tree And he says, listen, you get the privilege of being grafted in. There was the first fruits, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the founding fathers. They were holy. They were set apart unto me. And because they were the first fruits, out of that comes life and there's blessing on that. God's hand still shows favor upon Israel because of the first fruits out of Israel. As a nation... Israel will have God's hand on. Like when Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, not obviously all the Israelites were wanting to follow God, but he still blessed them, the faithfulness of Moses. Do you understand? Remnant, history, covenant-keeping God. Man, we serve a God who will keep His promises. We serve a God who loves us beyond measure. When God says, I am the one who began the good work in you and I will complete it until I come back, that's a promise of God. So God's always doing a work in us. Always loving us, always sharpening us, sanctifying us, setting apart ourselves unto Him. But with Israel, I will bring them back. There will be a time that I'm going to call my people back because of my inheritance my covenant keeping. We get grafted into the life. That the Israel and the vine of the olive tree always was considered, that olive tree was always considered this beautiful, precious gift to Israel. It was productive. It had life. It, it gave resource to the nation. The root being the life of God. You are grafted in. And like John 15, I, I, I receive the life of Christ flowing through me as I'm grafted in. He says, don't we become arrogant in that? 
thinking that, well, look at us, we've found the way, and, and we become kind of complacent or arrogant in who we are. Or thinking that we better lay down the law to the Jews of what's really the situation. Such were the crusades that came through out of Europe. You infidels need to know Christ, but we're just going to wipe you out because you don't. Grafted in because of what God is doing with Israel. But here's what he says. But God is going to call back his people. God is going to offer them mercy in the end. And God is going to use this situation. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24. This is the coolest. Says this for the prophecy in the end. I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all of their heart, and I will graft them back in. They will be ones who will come and return, and in the end what we're going to see is that God is going to offer His mercy to the nation of Israel, and you know what's going to happen? They're going to respond. And that's why it says all of Israel will be saved. Again, it's a choice of each member of the nation of Israel, the Jews. But there's going to be such a mass amount, the vision is all of Israel is going to come, and there's going to be an absolute broad sweeping. And, and what Paul says, oh, how beautiful that's going to be. God's covenant keeping will take place. Remember Revelation, there's 144,000 set apart unto God. He's going to go throughout each 12 tribes, bring them forth, and they're going to minister with the Lord. And so get this. This is the conclusion. God who keeps his promises. God who is working in our lives. God who is so amazing. So what Paul says is he's racking his brain. So let me get it right, God. You got a people who rejected you that you still love. Yet because they did, you opened the door for the whole world to come to know your son. And you used that and you grafted them into your vine because of the rejection of Israel. And now let me get this. So they know you now and then there the Gentiles are going out and sharing your love and the Jews are becoming jealous. And so wait a sec, God. So what you're telling me is now then the Jews are going to come and the nation of Israel is going to receive your mercy and then they're going to come to know your saving grace. And in the end, there's going to be all of you glorified throughout the land. Is that what you're telling me, God, that you're doing? Oh, how unsearchable are your ways. Oh, God, you are too magnificent to understand. Your grace is too amazing for me to even grasp in your saving gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Is this what you're doing, God? Thank you, oh God, for who you are. What an amazing grace that has been poured out on me, and on the nation of Israel, and your work is just beyond all measure. And that you break through these callous hearts, and you receive those who will receive you, and who cry out, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son and the Lord. And I believe in my heart, and I call on his name. Save me, O oh God. What amazing grace.